then I got a telephone call 15 minutes later, and that was Steve Griffin, the balloon pilot, on the phone. And my first thought was, oh, they do have cell phones in heaven. Welcome to the Athlete Story Podcast. Your chance to tap into wisdom from athletes and experts in world-class sports. You are about to be taken into a chat about sports careers and related issues between an awesome guest and your listening host. The Sports Insider, repurposed Olympic mogul skier, and former freeride world tour athlete, Anya Bobia. I want to remind you of the Successful After Sports Summit. Don't worry if you missed the free event on April 17 to 19. You can still go and get the All Access Pass. For now, the time of this recording to help out those who are a bit short of cash these days with the many lockdowns around the world. I'm giving you the option of naming your own price instead of paying the normal price of $127. So any amount will be greatly appreciated. Just head on over to SuccessfulAfterSports.com to get your all-access pass to all the recordings of the expert sessions, either audio or video, so you can tune in at your own convenience. Now you can also check out the previews of the sessions on my personal Anya Bolbia YouTube channel, and that's youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Bolbia, B-O-L-B-J-E-R-G. Today we'll talk about setting the bar high and using sports to draw attention to higher purposes. Well, this combination took our guest today, Mark Hauser, on a quest all the way up into the jet stream in a hot air balloon, you know, some seven kilometers up in the sky, <laughs> to then jump out and feel the speed and the energy up there. So stay tuned. This is Athlete Story, your show if you want to keep a connection to your athletic identity and to other athletes while pursuing your new mission in life after sports. I'm your host, Anja Barbia, former world top 10 skier in freeride and mogul skiing, now way into life after sports. I invite you to join other former athletes and me here on Athlete Story for resources to help you put your former sports career to work for you in life after sports. Mark Hauser is a skydiver from Switzerland who is now on a mission to use sports to draw attention to renewable energy sources such as the jet stream. Uh, his jump out into the jet stream from a hot air balloon in a skydiving suit in 2018 just to earn him a spot in the Guinness Book of Records. But at the time of the jump, his performance and record was actually the least of his concerns. Uh, you get that story as well as everything that went into prepping for this adventure. And of course, I also want to dive into his personal takeaway from this whole experience and how he uses that today. So let's welcome Mark Hauser. Hello, Mark. Welcome to the Athlete Story Podcast. Hello, Anya. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's exciting because you are on quite a unique mission, I can say. Setting the bar high. Can we say like that? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes a bit too high, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's have you tell the project that you're you're involved in or master of. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, two years ago we um, set the first world record in uh, chasing the jet stream and I was flying inside the jet stream as a skydiver and that was the... The main goal to be the first team to achieve this goal to, to really fly inside the jet stream as a skydiver from a hot air balloon. And we achieved that in Australia. We wanted to do that first here in Switzerland, but the weather was so bad. So we had to 
then go to Australia. And it finally, it, it really happened against all odds uh, on a shoestring budget. And uh, yeah, we, we made it at the end. I want to dive into all that story. I just want to know first, the jet stream is like a high altitude wind, can you call it? Yeah, exactly. When you fly from the United States or when you fly again from the United States back to Europe and uh, you end uh, or you land ahead of time, then usually it was the help of a tailwind. And the jet stream is a, is a ribbon of strong winds. It's always uh, directing towards east. And uh, as long as you fly to the east, it can really accelerate your flight. But that's the only way we use this energy right now is just in planes. And I think there are many more opportunities to bring this energy down. How did you find out that you wanted to fly the jet stream without an airplane, but just you? Yeah, so um, I started uh, skydiving when I was about uh, 19 years old, 20 years old, and I came from flying airplanes. So as I was flying gliders and uh, small single engine airplanes. And I was really hooked by skydiving because that's a real sensation of flying because you, you don't have anything around you. You just fly like a bird. And then as soon as you spread or you stretch your arms and your legs, you start flying and gliding on a slope down. And it's, it's really this feeling of, of flying. And so I, I realized that I could be quite fast. And there was no world record at this time. And I set the first one, which, which was easy, of course, because there was no world record. And that was quite an impressive number, the speed, because I reached a speed of 304 kilometers per hour on ground speed. So I measure my speed on the ground like a, like a train or like a car. And uh, so usually we fall down at the rate of 200 kilometers per hour. So I was already faster forward moving than I was falling down. And then I thought, okay, that's, uh, that's great. It's, it's a good number because uh, usually 304 kilometers per hour, we, we do not drive these speeds, um, especially not, not in Switzerland on our highways. <laughs> and uh, so I, I thought that's a, that's a good number as a, as a world record. And then I was ranked number one at the list for all the wingsuit flyers. But I do not wear a wingsuit. So I, I just have a normal a skydiving suit. And, but I still, I was ranked number one at the wingsuit competition because my discipline, no one, no one does it. <laughs> so, or no one did it at this time. And so it was my only option to file my data to the wingsuit guys. And then I was ranked number one for about 18 months. And then suddenly I dropped down this list and I asked myself, what happened? Did, did they improve their wingsuits? But they didn't. Uh, so I just dropped down the list because all these guys were taking tailwind uh, to help them accelerate their flights. And that, that was one thing we, we never did before. And so I thought, okay, let's, let's catch the best tailwind we can find, and that's a jet stream. Uh, so that was the start and the beginning of this uh, project, Jetstream. Then. Are you a bit of a science geek or not at all? Yeah, I, I really like the storytelling line uh, behind the science. I, I'm not an engineer, but I like this storytelling opportunity of something, a new phenomenon. And I think to bring down the energy from high altitude wind power, that was absolutely new for me. I just had no clue about it. The more I could really dig into this um, subject, uh, the more I was hooked because I really think it's a great opportunity for the future, because we, we have to find new solutions for our planet. And this could be one of them. Not sure if it's the solution, but it's, of course it could be a great opportunity to bring down the energy. And that was the second line. So there is an adventure line in the story, 
we can tell. And there is this clean tech and new energy line. And I, I really love this combination between adventure and uh, science. In a way, you, you take what you can call sky. It's fair to call skydiving a pretty decadent sport, I guess. You go up with a plane just to throw yourself down. And you take, you're like adding a noble purpose to it because you're looking yeah, yeah. at how we can use this for as a yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So it's, it's the most ridiculous thing you can do anyway. So you go <laughs> up and, <laughs> and you land at the same spot over and over again. And uh, of course, it's it's absolutely not uh, clean tech, uh, usually because we have, we burn so much much fuel and it's of course it's uh, not the clean tech sport you can do then this combination with uh, this new opportunity to bring down the energy that was this new aspect i really liked because i think when you have the possibility to to tell a story to a wide audience and bbc world news was in from the beginning because they, they could see the the combination of adventure and uh, technology which could be a really good storytelling thing and i think you have to put a kind of higher sense in your story if there if there is a higher sense. But that was brilliant for us. Yeah. And so what are some of the things that are actually being done to to use this energy force? We had three startups in Switzerland we could present in this uh, BBC series that was a three-episode series and we could uh, highlight uh, three of these um, startups. But on the globe, we have about dozens of small enterprises, uh, little startups, and they are going into this field of bringing down the energy with sort of kites. Usually they use kind of kites. So maybe it's fabrics, maybe it's uh, it's planes, and sometimes it's the plane itself creating the energy with the propeller in front and bringing down the electricity through the tether, which is um, mounted on the ground. And I think the, the, the good thing, if you compare that to the ground-based windmills, is that you do not need all this concrete heavy stuff to build one of these big big windmills you just have a small container and that contains everything you need and it's mobile you can just put it in a remote area you can put it somewhere where we had an earthquake and you can just tap into the high altitude winds because usually up there there is wind and if you're flying a drone, you experience that in the first flight because on the ground, it's everything is calm. If you climb up with your drone, then you have the alert of, oh, it's strong winds. And you say, well, it's not, no wind at all. But up there, usually we have strong winds. If we can tap into these unknown regions, I think it's a wonderful story. Well, let's, let's hear more about the jump itself and, and that whole experience. When did you do this last jump? You went up with a air, hot air balloon in Australia. Mm -hmm. When yeah. was this? Uh, that was now close to two years now ago in 2018. It was in, in summertime, so it was our summertime and wintertime in Australia because Jetstream, they usually they need wintertime. So because in wintertime, it's uh, really the best think you, you can have and the jet stream and it's the strongest winds you can find then so that's why we had to go to australia and we had to uh, ship all the oxygen all the stuff we needed and it was a, it was really a nightmare because we had such a small team it was basically it was just the filmmaker from the bbc and myself and we had around we had some people around in the team but these guys were constantly changing. I had one skydiver friend that was Tom, and he was in the, in the core team as well. And we had uh, Steve Gale from Australia. He's a pilot, and he could manage all these clearances to get up into the air. But it was really, we were running on a shoestring budget. We, we didn't have any kind of proper sponsorship money. It was just 
speakers agreements. So I speak in front of audiences for companies and we had speakers agreements with private banks. So now I'm giving all these speeches for the rest of my life with these banks. <laughs> so that, that, that was basically the deal. But I had a really hard time to find sponsors. And, and I would wonder how that was for you, Anya, to find sponsors in your sport. Because I really, I was really struggling. Because first they told us, you need a big, a big media house on your side. And then sponsorship would be easy. And we, we ended up with BBC World News, which is not a really small company. So it's, they have more than 100 million viewers a week. And so then when I approached the sponsors, they told me, ah, you know, we, we're mainly oriented towards Europe. So the world is a, a bit too big for us. So <laughs> we can't help you in that. And that was a really, a really a pity. It was really hard to find this, this money. And so we, we, we did it anyway. So we... We had just so many people just working on, on a zero budget because they were fascinated by the, the project and they just wanted to be a part of the team, which was wonderful for us. And were, were some of the objections like, what if this goes wrong? Is that, do you think, the fear for a sponsor? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, that, that was one of the concerns. That, yeah, if we could guarantee them it, would, it could not happen anything, then they would have gone with us probably. But... In a, in a real exploration, you're never sure if it will end up everything uh, as planned because otherwise it's not an exploration. It's a, it's a tourist tour. Even there, you're not, not really sure if you can end up yeah, at the port again. But that's the one thing I was, I was missing in this project uh, when it comes to sponsorship was a kind of a, of a risk attitude. When everything was, was done and completed, then I, I, I was approached by different guys. Oh, you should have told me. I would have gone in, of course, in the first minute, but it, it wasn't reality. Yeah. So I think really to find sponsorship, that's a really hard thing. Yeah. I, I don't know what, what your experience is. It's about alignment a lot, I think. I'm not an expert in this, but really finding that the, the companies that have that value of exploration and adventure and and, and risk taking. So <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know. There are companies out there, big ones too. Like comes mm -hmm. to mind is something like Virgin, where they do the mm -hmm. space travel and Red Bull. So th these are totally different brands and products. But I yeah, don't know. Not an expert on this. The problem there was uh, if you if you watch me, you see it, it. It's not a real Red Bull athlete guy. So I'm not one of these ripped six pack guys, uh, adventure youngster. I, I'm just uh, just like a normal businessman doing silly stuff. And I saw, I saw, I think it wasn't uh, really the good fit for a Red Bull, uh, which is good for me because I do not like the energy drinks anyway. But usually they work with the people they already know. And if you knock their doors and say, oh, I'm a crazy guy, I have a crazy idea, and uh, please open your pockets. <laughs> it, it just simply doesn't work. But tell us more about that, because if you don't feel like you're an athlete, I can tell you you are an athlete, because nobody who hasn't prepared physically for throwing themselves out <laughs> into the jet stream, I don't think that's possible. I will tell that to my darling, because she, she always tells me, oh, you're not a sports guy. It's, it's not a sports Anyway, you just fall out of planes and you, you just you just fall down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I bet there are some 
pretty important forces out there that you have to kind of at least play with, <laughs> if not fight. Yeah. yeah, tell us about the preparation that goes into it, because it's, it's, of course, way beyond physical preparation. But if we start with the physical preparation. With my background from aviation, I had a, an idea what could happen in uh, strong winds. I had experience of flying, experience of flying aerobatics on, on airplanes, and I had a bit of experience as a skydiver, but not as much as a real professional skydivers they have, because usually they have 10,000 jumps, 20,000 jumps, even more. And I had just a couple of hundred jumps, so which was uh, really at the minimum what you need. But I think that the whole exploration was more based on doing things the first time, but in a proper way, with a good training, with a good preparation and the preparation for me um, especially here in Bern was just to jump out of bridges down from bridges because it's the first one or two seconds which are really important because then you should be stable then you can fly at the end it's it will turn out into a free fall anyway but if you are tumble in the beginning then it looks it looks bad and it, and you you consume so much altitude which is a shame because you want to use this altitude to to fly and yeah. so I, my preparation basically was was in the summertime jumping down from small bridges here in Bern, which sounds a bit of a ridiculous because you can't compare a three meter bridge with a seven thousand four hundred meter hot air balloon exit. But actually, it's it's quite the same in the beginning. So the first seconds, it's it's the same. And then there was the psychological side of going into this situation and playing it over and over again as you did or do as a skier and that's a really good good help and if you don't if you just go to to the to the to the mountain and you go down as a skier without any preparation in your mind then you're lost and i think you cannot complete your task so that was a, a critical thing to really be prepared in your mind to have a good exit stable exit at the balloon jump and then there was the, the technical side, because we really had to check and develop all the systems on our own. And that was, the idea was we wanted to have a full face helmet. So if you see uh, guys jumping out in high altitude, they usually wear these masks of uh, pilots. You know, there's the big, big masks with a, a tube wobbling around. And we didn't want to have that. So we, we wanted to have a really good aerodynamic solution with a full face helmet. And so we had to uh, come up with new ideas to integrate the whole system uh, of oxygen inside the suit, protected uh, against cold and um, the strong winds. And then with a small tube inside, and uh, I could breathe like a, a kind of a diver because it's skydiving. Yeah. So that was, that was the, the next solution. So it was always this combination between the actual jump itself, the training jumps to, to test the equipments, the new solutions, and then the mindset to really be able to, to jump out of this um, hot air balloon. So that, and then there's like the whole aspect of, like is as if you were climbing Mount Everest or something that you're up there. It's conditions that we don't really have anywhere on earth, if not on Mount Everest <laughs> with the winds, with the temperature and all that. So did you prepare for that as well from home? Yes. Yeah, we made a lot of training in the cold chamber. So we have a cold chamber here, which is kind of an inverted sauna. You have um, different rooms and it's really freezing cold so minus 60 degrees 60 degrees that was our goal to test in this field and uh, we tested our equi equipment we tested the helmet and then we were ready but we could not test the combination between cold temperatures 
and high winds. Because when you go up into the jet stream, you have a constant flow of uh, wind that pushes you and accelerates your balloon system. So we had, in average, about 50 to 60 kilometers per hour of constant wind. So if you have this combination between minus 40 degrees and this constant wind still blowing from behind, I really ask myself, are you kidding me? <laughs> because it's, with the wind chill, it's so much colder, as you know from the mountains. If it's, if it's minus 10 degrees, that's fine. But if it's, there's a strong wind blowing at minus 10, you, free, you just freeze your ass off. <laughs> if if that, that happens with minus 40, then it's, uh, it's really, uh, it's ridiculous cold. I guess you're almost like numb. You, your muscles don't work like this supposed to. And yeah, so I had uh, six layers of different clothes, um, but I had just had one layer of gloves. I just had one, one layer of gloves. And that worked perfectly in the cold chamber for 30 minutes. So I, I knew it, it, it would work fine. But up there with the stress, with the strong winds, I couldn't feel my fingers. And that's a bad thing if you have to deploy your small parachute with your hand and you don't feel anything. You just grab. You say, I'm not sure if, if I grab the right thing or if I just uh, try to open a silly thing, which is not a parachute. So that was one of the stress levels and the funny thing is that the fabrics, they do not feel the same. If you are at these temperatures, you really feel like a deep frozen, frozen fish stick. So it's a kind of loud noise if you just make a small movement. As long as you have room temperature, the, the fabrics of your suit, that's fine. You can just move. But at these temperatures, you, you just really feel trapped inside a deep frozen suit. And that was a new experience as well. Wow. <laughs> so, of course, you had to have people take you up there in the balloon. Mm -hmm. You mentioned there was an Australian pilot. What's his name? Steve Griffin was the pilot uh, who made this everything possible. And he's, he owns training fighter jets. And he was really essential on the ground. He was flying around the balloon. And then we had the balloon pilot, another Steve, that was Steve Griffin. And Steve Griffin is was our only option in Australia to bring us up into jet stream level because usually they do not climb as high because mm -hmm. they just, it doesn't make sense. They don't have any mountain ridge like the Alps where you have to go up there. So basically there's a handful of uh, guys with the experience to go into the jet stream. And Steve was the only one we could convince to fly with us crazy guys from Switzerland to altitude, altitudes of jet stream level. He did a fantastic job because we had to constantly change plans. We were really chasing this jet stream like tornado chasers in the United States. We were driving day and night for days to find the, the best spot to really be underneath this jet stream and then to climb up with a rented balloon system because we had to rent this balloon system because we didn't know where we would end up. And we had to rent the system. We took it on in the morning. We were flying, uh, driving to the starting ground and off we went. It was really a last minute planning and it was absolutely fantastic because there was, uh, we, we even didn't have any kind of an insurance. For us, it was important to have a real safe adventure and we wanted to have endurance for everyone in the balloon. And we approached Lloyd's where you can really find insurances for everything, even for uh, your butt or whatever you want. You can find it. And they told us, okay, you have to pay $50,000. And in case uh, you will die, 
you get $500,000. And we told them, no, our full budget is about 50000 And so it was not possible to get any coverage. We were just on our own. And the two guys with me in my balloon, they were they're both, as, as me, uh, family fathers with several kids and uh, full in their job. So it, it was, yeah, that, that was a kind of a nightmare, especially when things went wrong, because I knew everyone would be lost on, on his own. Some things didn't actually go quite as you planned. Yeah. So the one thing, we had a leaking problem with the oxygen system, but we knew this problem from before. We, we had spare bottles on the ground. So we were really, really good prepared for that. We had a fantastic system. We had a great company from Germany. They built a fantastic system, but we knew we had we could have some problems with freezing uh, system because we had these new developments. So, But that was not the real problem. The real problem was the combination of this leaking oxygen and the flame came down. The, the flame just disappeared from the hot air balloon, which is a bad thing because it's called hot air balloon. And if you don't have a flame, it's just the heat is gone and you just drop down. Not like a stone, but you, you, you really have a, an impressive descent of the balloon system. And that happened at the same time, exactly at the same time, these both problems. And that was the, the, so the turning the point. point where, where you're about to jump, you actually don't know if the two guys in the balloon are going to survive. Actually, I was, I, was really, I was really sure they would not make it. So that was the, the worst thing because I was standing on my platform and I had to jump because the balloon system was already descending on a fast rate. So faster than 1,000 feet per minute, which is quite fast already. And I was still consuming their oxygen in the balloon. So I had my own system. So it was really good if I would just leave because then what would be one guy less to breathe the oxygen, which was already on a constant flow, losing all the oxygen. And so I had to jump there, but I knew that these guys in the balloon, they would just survive for maybe one or two minutes more because we made this training in the low pressure chamber at the Swiss military. And we knew that at these altitudes of higher than 7,000 meters, you just have one, two minutes where your brain still works and you can fulfill your tasks. And after this time, you just turn nuts. You yeah. do silly thing, you jump out of the balloon, whatever. You start singing. I was starting singing in the, in the experiment in the low uh, pressure chamber. And kind of like in our narcosis if you're diving in the sea. Yeah, it's quite similar. It's quite similar. But the, um, and then the problem again is it doesn't feel, you, you don't feel stressed. You just feel drunk. It's yeah. uh, kind of funny. So, and then you start to shiver. And when you start to shiver, your muscle tension, uh, start, it's right before you fall unconscious. And if you fall unconscious under hypoxia, that's the name way, when you don't have enough oxygen in your brain, if you fall unconscious, then you just sleep over and you, you, you kill yourself because you do not breathe uh, like you would breathe if you would lose consciousness here uh, in, a, in a web chat. You, your body still works. You, you, you breathe. You, you won't die. But if you have an unconscious moment in hypoxia, you, you, you die. And for me, that was clear that the two guys, now they will die in the balloon, but at least they wouldn't feel the hard impact on the ground. So that was my, uh, my mindset. And at the same time, I should be as fast as possible, break my own silly record. 
which didn't make any sense in the moment of the jump because I knew uh, I just killed two of, of my friends. So with a silly, bloody, idiot idea of going into the chat stream. And so that for me, it was clear uh, that I could not break my record. I didn't have my the mindset ready. And in the first moment, I was just, I was just falling flat down. And uh, then I thought, okay, I, I'm so high. Let's, let's try it anyway to be a bit faster than usual. Um, but I didn't break my own record then, uh, which, wasn't, which wasn't important for me at all in this moment. Because it, it, was, it was really one of the hardest moments in my life when I knew that I was responsible for these guys and these guys, they would for sure, they would die now. Yeah, then, then I completed my flight. I opened the parachute. I landed pretty close to a farm because I wanted to be rescued um, there and I couldn't find the balloon up there because it was a, a blue envelope of the balloon in the blue sky. I, I just couldn't see it. It was too far away. Yeah. It was still too high when I was on the ground. And I, I, was, I was walking around and I was waiting for a call. I was waiting for my rescue team. I, but I knew it, it would be a disaster. And then I got a telephone call uh, 15 minutes, 20 minute, minutes later, and that was Steve Griffin, the balloon pilot, on, on the phone. And my first thought was, oh, they do have cell phones in heaven. Because I knew, I knew he, he must be dead. And he was, he was laughing. He was, he was friendly. He was, hey, Mark, how are you? Is it really you? Is it you, Steve? And I said, yeah. And we were so lucky we could ignite the fire when we were going down in this rapid descent, then the mixture of the oxygen and the air, the pressure was fine again. We could just ignite the fire. We, we still don't know how, but there was a fire back. We had the time to change the, the oxygen bot bottles uh, we prepared on the ground and we made a safe landing. So everything's fine. Everything's good. So let's have, let's have, a, let's have a good uh, breakfast. So I, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe what I was hearing there. And the, in the same moment, um, then the rescue team arrived with the, with the camper van uh, because I had a satellite nav navigation system. I could just uh, press a button and they could see me on their cell phones. And I was rescued uh, 20 minutes later and we were sitting on, on breakfast wow. uh, in Forks in Australia. And it, that, was, that was really surreal, eh? sur surreal, surreal uh, experience. I, I never thought it would turn out like, like this. So does that mean you do not want to go again or do you want to go again? Especially now when it's uh, recognized from Guinness Book of World Records as the first jump of a skydiver inside the jet stream. That was the main goal. To, to make this happen and to, to really highlight the jet stream as a potential source of new clean energy. For me, and the story is over here. And I think I would stay on the ground. I, and I promise that to my family. I'm not really sure if I can keep the promise uh, forever. <laughs> but, but for now, I, I would like to, to change the, the adventure part. And I would like to go into production lines of uh, documentaries with exactly the same spirit of exploration and new clean technology in a combination. And so I would like to be a producer now. We are uh, creating a company together with a BBC filmmaker with Claudio von Planta mm -hmm. and with a third guy. He comes from the financing part 
And so I think we can make a new arrangement and find new support, uh, not from sponsoring side, but from marketing side, because I think it's a, it's a really fantastic story you can tell if you have this adventure exploration park together with a higher sense. And that's uh, what I'm aiming now for. So it's, it's not a next jump higher and better and faster because you, you cannot be better than the first one in the jet stream. You can just be faster than myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that sounds like a beautiful mission. So you want to put more attention to other people who have similar crazy ideas <laughs> and projects and, and document yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. So the next story will be underwater and we are working with the best divers in the world. We have a fantastic storyline to bring attention to all the new possibilities where you can bring out energy out of the water, out of the rivers of the sea. And this combination between the divers and this uh, new storyline of clean energy from the water, it, 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 it's a mind-blowing story already now. I can feel your passion. <laughs> yeah. I wonder one last question before we wrap it up would be mm -hmm. like, what's your biggest lesson on a personal level that you take away from, from this whole experience? I think the best lesson for me, and that's a lesson I can share as a, as a keynote speaker now, is that if you're scared of something, just do it anyway. Because I think, especially nowadays, we see that there are risks around us we were not even aware of some months ago. And I think if you're scared of, of a career step or of, a, of, a, of an own adventure, Just, just go for it. Just, just do it. And that, that's why we like this, this claim of my kid is just do it because we feel we, we could just do it. Sometimes I have to convince yourself that you just go step by step. And at the end, you maybe reach the goal, which is not as important because the journey itself is so fantastic. If you find the courage to really go into the direction you feel in your heart. And I think that's the main message I can give because I'm scared of heights. I still am scared of heights. And the idea in the beginning was to overcome this fear by jumping out of planes, having this uh, shocking therapy, and it never worked out. So I'm, I'm, I'm still scared <laughs> of heights. But, but who cares? You can, you can jump out of planes. You can jump out of hot air balloons. You can be scared of heights. So, so what? Maybe you should be uh, scared a bit. If you jump out of planes, it could help as well because it's it's not not so natural to jump out of planes. It's not so natural to 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 found a startup. If you are an uh, entrepreneur, you you really have to be scared a bit um, because then you're really concentrating the best way you can. And so the main message is: don't think you are too small. Don't think your team is uh, too small. Don't think you don't have the budget. Uh, just go for it. And I think. If you can ignite the fire in your team, in, in different people, then you can really achieve goals you never, you never, you never imagined before. And that's the, the main message I have. And there's another message uh, I can give in my, in my speeches. When someone asks me, where should I aim? I don't have the idea exactly. Where should I aim? What's, what's the altitude I should aim? Then I can tell them exactly the point where they should aim. And usually, especially in Switzerland, we have the tradition to set small steps as goals. Mm -hmm. So it must be a realistic goals. And I'm sure that realistic goals are absolutely bastards because you have to reach them. And if you don't reach realistic goals, you are a loser. So set your goals higher. And I can tell you the, the exact point where you should aim. If you just 
just raise the bar a bit higher, a bit higher, a bit higher. And then it, it sounds a bit ridiculous. So you have to smile because it's, it's so high, the goal. That's exactly the point where you should aim because then the goal itself starts to glow as a star, as a, as a real passionate thing to achieve. And so, but, but what I read in management boards is always, you have to set realistic goals. And no, you don't. Why? It's, it's always the better story if you have an ambitious, crazy, funny goal and you don't reach that goal at the end. At least it's a story. If you have realistic goals and you do not reach them, it's not, it's not a story. It's not even a story. It's true. So. And, it, and I think it even limits you in a sense that for my personal story, for example, I, for the 2002 Olympics, which was my second Olympics, I just mm-hmm. wanted to qualify for the Olympics, basically, and then hopefully make a final. But the, the mm-hmm. goal that was in my mind was to qualify, to qualify, to qualify. So it was like once I had qualified, like yeah. the energy went out of the balloon kind of thing. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, if I had said I want to be the Olympic champion like I did it in 98, then yeah. I would have come with a whole different – and it, it would have been unrealistic. I mean, could have happened, but I'm sure I would have come with more energy and more enthusiasm and be able to bring more people along with me on that adventure. Like mm-hmm. you yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, I see this point. For yeah. sharing this story, I think it's a, a time where we really need stories like yours. So go out there and share even more, and I'll do my bit to, to share it as well. <laughs> yes, of course, I'll do that. And I think, I, I think, especially nowadays, everyone realizes that we are surrounded by surprising dangers. And I think we, we, we have to be courageous anyway. And there are people dying all the time. So we will die at the end as well. It's really sad. And we shouldn't not talk about that, especially me as a motivational speaker. Do not talk about dying. But yes, we should talk about dying because that's what will happen to every one of us. The question is, what are you doing in between? And if you have the choice of two different paths in your life, just take the one that uses a little bit more of courage and uh, see what happens there. because. That's where the, ha- the magic happens. If you have two options, take the, the one with a slightly higher risk. Beautiful. <laughs> so if, if people want to have you come and tell your story, hire you as a keynote speaker or know more about your adventures, where can they go find you? They can go to Wave of Success, Wave of Success point CH, CH for Switzerland. So it's Wave of Success point CH. And you see the whole story. You see the whole speaking part and it would be fantastic to get some bookings for the time after the crisis because now it's the income is at zero dollars and that's that's a challenge as well so it's kind of frightening as well but as you know i i do like extreme situations like these ones i was really searching them and now they are coming to me so i I can have it in my home office it's it's the the extreme experience is is visiting me and that's a good thing but it should it should get better afterwards. It, it sure stimulates creativity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, of course it will. So, so thank you very much thing, for having me. If in the audience here, there are somebody with a project like, like yours, maybe in another sport, in another environment, another element. Mm-hmm. How do they reach out to you for, for doing a documentary? They just contact me by email. It's uh, on the website. They just 
call me on my cell phone. The cell phone number is on my website. So just, just approach. Because usually people, they think, oh, he must be too busy. Oh, it's too hard to, to contact him directly. It's, it's not. Usually it's not. As long as you're not a real Hollywood star, it's not as hard. You just, you just reach out. You, you, you just try your best and yeah, you will get the answer. For me, you will get the answer of me uh, for, for sure. And so for your production adventure, where you're going to do these documentaries, do you have your whole team set up or do you need anybody on the team? <laughs> yeah, we do have the production team set on place. Everything is ready. What we could use now is a kind of an executive producer. So if... Anyone out there would listen to this story and would say, oh, it would be fantastic to be part of an inspirational team as we are. Then it would be great to have this uh, person talking to us and to uh, be part of our team. Sometimes I say you, you don't need really deep pockets, but in this case, you really need the deep pockets, of course, because usually television producers, they do not pay a lot to have these films done. And so the budget is, of course, in the beginning is the main concern. If we can't finance it, we can, we can tell a fantastic story. If we just don't find the money, it will be incredibly hard again. So it would be the great, the best moment ever now to contact us and to ask what would be the benefit, what would be at the end, the costs. Great, Mark. The offer's out there now. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, thank you so much for being part of the Athlete Story podcast. And the community here at Athlete Story, you're always welcome another time. Enjoy your new adventures. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Anya, likewise. And I'm curious about your new adventures as well. Could you integrate that in this podcast as well? Could you tell us something about your new adventure? Sure, sure, I will do. I will do. Make an episode. Perfect. <laughs> thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Thank you, Anya. So inspiring to listen to Mark, right? Well, I've been thinking about that high bar since we recorded this chat, and I want to make something clear. A high bar is great, but it can be very discouraging if it's approached the wrong way. Now, even high jumpers and pole vaulters, they increase their bar progressively, right? And as an elite athlete, you know that big progress comes from consistency in your daily actions. So there are going to be times where your energy is low and you miss motivation or inspiration. And then your priority is not the height of the bar on that day, but whatever helps you gain momentum again. And sometimes that means setting your bar really low on that day. So you lower the resistance and sometimes it can even mean taking a few steps back. Now, you've probably also noticed how looking down at your feet rarely does you any good. <laughs> whatever you try to do. Whereas raising your vision always seems to give you that extra bit of readiness and, and go for it attitude. Now, the high bar helps you raise your vision. And for momentum, it's this constant adjustment of drive and resistance. I did a whole TEDx talk on this many years back that I called achieve more with less. But my point is that it's not always just about finding more drive. Anyways, you can find that on athletestory.com if you scroll down a bit. On that note, let's nurture our momentum in these days of global crisis and help others do the same. Go out there and go big. Thank you for listening to Athlete Story. You are awesome. If you are yourself a world-class athlete or former, don't hesitate to come over on athletestory.com and check out more free stuff and resources to help you thrive in and benefit from your sports career. Dare to prepare. Then get yourself out there. Stay in touch.